extremely honoured and uh, and delighted to welcome onto the TRM podcast uh, someone who's been interviewed four times by Oprah Winfrey. Neil Bolter has an extraordinary story, has, has experienced an awful lot in his life, both in business and in personal terms, and I could have spoken to him for hours and hours. Enjoy. A massive welcome onto the TRM podcast to Neil Bolter, calling from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Is that right, Neil? That's correct. Beautiful Scottsdale, not a cloud in the sky, Gordon. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic to to have you on the TRM podcast. Now, I asked, uh, I had Mo Fattlebab on our podcast, and I said, Mo, at the end of it, I said, Mo, any one person that I should definitely get on this podcast, and without a moment's hesitation, he said, Neil Bolter. And I must admit, Neil, I hadn't heard of you. Um, but uh, the, the more I've read about you in research, your story is absolutely fascinating. So I'm going to assume that some people um, listening to this haven't heard of you. Um, and I'm really interested in a couple of things. A, the journey that took you from uh, deciding not to go to college to being featuring in Forbes and uh, being interviewed by Oprah and getting being featured in the Wall Street Journal. So the, the, the entrepreneurial story and then, you know, some of the things that have uh, influenced your life since. Um, so, so would you would you just uh, for people who aren't aware, you just uh, tell us the um, tell us the Neil Bolter story from the age of seventeen, unless I've missed something on the on from. Oh, that, that's fine. So, I I would like to say I had an epiphany, Gordon, and all of a sudden I thought you know closet organization was going to be it. Um, didn't really work like that. Uh, I was a mediocre high school student. Uh, my parents. Uh, my brother was currently in college. My, my mom sat me down and said, what do you want, you know, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go to college? I said, mom, I don't want to be, go to college. I'm going to become a carpenter. And she paused for a second and she thought to my, she said, you know, son, there are no Jewish carpenters in this world. And then she goes, there was one, he had better connections than you and look what happened to him. Okay. <laughs> you know, we're not allowed to hold power tools. You're going to hurt yourself. So anyway, um, I moved out when I was still in high school. Um, just out of high school, uh, I went over to pick up a friend of mine. His uh, father knew I was a carpenter, asked me to build some shelves in his closet. That was it. I built some shelves in his closet. I did the neighbors. Um, uh, Marvin, my friend's father, thought it was a great idea, wanted me and his son to start a company doing it. His son didn't want to do it for whatever reason. He was still my best friend today, 40 years later. Um, he then uh, I convinced Marvin, his dad, to do it with me. And Marvin and I started this little company out of his house. He had a very big company. So he was just kind of helping me yeah, and acting yeah. as a mentor and whatnot. Let me work out of his office. So this was back in 1978. Or, and back then, one of the things that I was lucky on, there was no wardrobe companies in England or closet companies. It was a brand new idea. So that was tremendously successful that it was a new idea and when people see the before and after pictures or just the the pictures even if people don't want it or don't want to pay for it they still think it's a good idea yeah right yeah. everybody deals with that messy closet twice a day every day for as long as you are in the house so then we started this little company marvin was my partner for the first couple of years at the end of two years it started to get busier and busier and he you know he just had his own deal. So he sold me out to me. 
um, you know, I think I paid him a thousand bucks a month for a couple of years or something, you know, we were still small at that point. Uh, and so we started to grow, right? And, and, and it was, now you got to remember, I was 18, 19 years old at this point. I had hair halfway down my back. I was just getting out of high school, but I was making good money back then. Even back then, it, you know, it was, it was awesome. Um, about two years after that, I decided to go to a community college and I took a night class in marketing and advertising because at that point, I, it was just strictly word of mouth. You know, I put flyers on people's cars, whatever. So would you, would you just on that note, so at that point, would you describe yourself as a, as a sort of tradesman, uh, mm -hmm. a good carpenter who could build stuff? And then you, met, you, you had a moment where you said, actually, maybe I can do something with this. Well, and it's coming. So I went to this college. I took this marketing class. And the teacher of the marketing class was the guy who invented the convertible sulfur. Right. No, right. right. So he had sold out years before to U.S. industries and started teaching to keep himself busy anyway. And it's very important because Marvin was my first mentor and mentors have been a critical part of my success. David Siegel, the college professor, was my second mentor. He was the guy who gave me the idea to franchise. Right up until that point, I probably had four or five employees. I had moved into my first little thousand square foot building. I met David. Uh, David was great, but David made me clean my act up, cut your hair, start dressing professionally. If you want me to help, this is what you need to do. So David enabled me to start to franchise the business, right? And this was back in probably 81, 82. Um, we started franchising it. Uh, David introduced me to the very top people at the LA Times, you know, when he owned his company, he was one of their biggest advertisers. So all of a sudden my ad was on page three in the upper right hand corner and things started to take off, right? There was no question about it. So this was around 82 and we started selling franchises and things were good, right? I was, uh, I would have been 22 years old at the point. Um, and then the first really big thing happened to me that changed the dynamics and the, and the direction of the business. Uh, I was flying home from Sacramento, California, back to Los Angeles. I was living in LA at the time. And for once I got sat next to this really good looking woman, right? You know, normally I get the 300 pound guy that takes half my seat. Anyway, so I'm talking to this lady and I'm kind of, you know, doing my spiel and towards the end of it, I, I ask her out, right? She goes, nope not going out with you. But she goes, you know, I'm a reporter and I'd love to do a story on your company. And she hands me her card and she worked for the Wall Street Journal. Okay. And a couple of weeks later, this was back in, I think, March of 84, a big story came out on the front page of the second section of the Wall Street Journal. And that changed everything for us, everything. Because no matter did we get literally thousands of calls for franchises all over the world, but it gave us the desperate credibility that we needed to make our company look legitimate. Just think about this, Gordon. You've got a 20-year-old kid walking into the bank with a new concept called closet organizing and trying to get these people to believe them, right? Now, once that Wall Street Journal article came out, it kind of changed everything, right? Because it gave you credibility. So the other big lesson that it taught me, and it was a big one, is up until then, we were advertising for franchises, right? And by then, I think we had nine or 10 in California and whatnot, 
right? And we were getting one or two inquiries a week. Then the Wall Street Journal came out and all of a sudden we got literally a thousand inquiries over the next couple of weeks. So what was the lesson? Advertising is cursed, editorial is blessed. There was nothing in that Wall Street Journal article that wouldn't been in our ad, but people take the ad with a grain of salt and they take the Wall Street Journal, it's gospel. So what we did back then is we stopped advertising, okay, completely stopped. We took all that money, hired a public relations company, and went off and sold and grew the business all by public relations. So after that, I had done over 300 talk shows, okay, national, local, all over the board. And what it was is the way I set it up is, you know, you watch wake up London, whatever. Good morning, Arizona. So every three or four months, they have a cook come on or the gardener come on and whatnot. Well, I was the closet guy. I came on, I helped people organize their closets. I came back three months later, we looked at the garage three months later in the pantry. So what I was getting was literally millions of dollars of exposure for pennies that we were paying the PR company. As you mentioned, I was on Oprah four times. Okay. Good Morning America, the Today Show, all of them. But it was very disciplined. We weren't doing this to to stroke our ego. We were doing this to build the business. And that's how we built that business was through positive PR. Now, to be fair, Gordon, I had an easy story to sell. You know, my parents threw me out when I was 17. They were now working for me. And we had this brand new concept called closet organizing. So, you know, it, there, it wasn't a tough sell to the PR people. But, but your story was very authentic. It was very genuine. It's very personal. And I guess if we flip it forward to now where, you know, people are building brands, uh, personal brands, business brands. Sure. And, okay. and you know, we built a, a, you know, a worldwide brand. There's stores in London, Australia, Japan, Mexico, Canada, New Zealand. I mean, it, it, it just really, again, we were lucky because it was a new concept. Whenever you got something new, now we didn't even have our first competitor until probably 83, right? Yeah. When other companies started doing it. You know, one of the downsides of the PR is all of a sudden go, hey, I can do that, right? You know, that's an uninten- unintentional consequence of positive PR is you get more competition, but it worked, right? And that business just continuously grew, grew, grew. I mean, we had our problems, like everybody does, recessions, this and that. But fundamentally, um, our product kept cut through recessions. Let me give you an example. Even in this last year and a half during COVID, right? Last year, our business was up 40%. And this year to date, it's up 27%. People have been stuck in their homes. What do they want to do? Fix them up. What do people get frustrated with? Dealing with their closet every day. So it's actually kind of helped us. So, you know, the business grew, Gordon, and and we I grew it in a very distinct and deliberate manner. Um, and you know, we were always respected our franchises. We always had a very positive environment. I am the biggest believer that you get more with sugar than vinegar. Okay. And especially out of employees. I, I'm never the guy that carries the big stick. Motivation, enthusiasm. If they don't have a passion for what they're doing, they're never going to do a good job for it. What would, what you, 
the PR bit sounds genius, and but what underpinned the success of the business beyond that? And, and again, looking after you, looking after your oh, team and your friendship. Yeah, what the under deal was. The fundamental bottom is we solved a problem for people. Yeah. Okay. That is the fundamental issue. You know, uh, if you're married, you know, you and your wife fight about closet space all the time. You can't find, you know, it, it's a legitimate problem. You know, there's not enough storage space because nowadays people just keep too much. Mm. Um, the, the building of the business and the franchises was the thing that became most successful for me. Now, you have to understand, Gordon, some of the franchises themselves, the bigger franchises at California Closets do north of a million a month in business. Yeah. So I watched these people beg, borrow every penny they could to start these businesses. And over 15, 20 years, I watched them become wildly successful. And there is nothing that brings me more satisfaction than watching these people become successful. Um, in a whole nother topic, not to give, not to get off of it, but uh, we do, or I do a huge amount of work in the autistic community. We have an autistic son and I deal all the time, probably three times a month with newly diagnosed parents. And it's the same thing. I, all I'm trying to do is help them. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy helping people and watching them succeed and overcome their issues. I do it with employees. I do it with franchises. I do it with newly diagnosed people. That's what sparks the flame for me personally, right? Is helping people. And, and we'll, we'll come on to that a bit more afterwards. As a couple of things, the thing about being a successful entrepreneur and having mentors it, that's something you're obviously passionate about. You got involved as a founder, yeah. of the, um, a founding member of the Entrepreneurs EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. Is it, why is that so important for entrepreneurs? No, okay, so watch. I went from Marvin, who helped me start the business. Yeah. Then I went to David, who helped me uh, franchise. My next mentor was a guy named Bill Levine. Bill had started uh, a company called Postal Instant Press in the U.S. It was the kind of like a uh, quick print shop. But he was the first of it. They had 1,300 locations in the U.S. He was my next mentor. He was taking me from the startup phase. Now, hey, you've got a big business. You've got to run it like a big business. Uh, But let me give you an example. One of Bill Levine. So we had hired a guy who was the president of the company for a while, right? Anyway, long story short, he was a bad guy and he was trying to take the company over from me, right? And he had ran us into debt and we were on the edges and it was all bad. And so I went and saw Bill and I said, Bill, this is the situation. We can't pay our bills, blah, 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 blah. He goes, how much money do you need? I go, 200 grand, right? Guy takes out his checkbook, writes me a check for 300 grand because he didn't think I asked for enough. Said, here's a check, go pay your bills, fire the guy, okay? If I didn't have Bill, I don't know if I'd be on this podcast with you right now. But Bill, because he was a mentor and had seen the whole thing, he trusted it and he knew it was a good business. And he knew I got myself into a little problem by trusting this guy, but it wasn't anything that we could have we couldn't have sorted out. Mm. So Bill took me from the small entrepreneur to helping me manage it as a larger type company. I mean, at that point, when when Bill was involved, we were probably up to 40 million in sales. So, so it went Marvin, then it went David, then it went Bill, 
and then it went to an, uh, another friend, Arnie. But you, there's always people smarter than you, okay, Gordon, always. Mm -hmm. And if you just ask and listen, most people are more than happy to help. If you're really intent on listening, most people only want to listen to what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. right? And so I, you know, like I had lunch with Bill once a week. I would, before lunch, I would send him a list of eight, nine things that I wanted to talk about. And we would, you know, very methodically knock them off. And I can tell you categorically, if I didn't have, you know, call them a board of directors, call them mentors, call them advisors, call them whatever you want. If I didn't have those people in my life uh, and how I, they got attracted to me, I'll never know. But if I didn't have them, I wouldn't be here right now. Okay. Just that simple. I, uh, I went to spend a couple of days down at Southwest Airlines where uh, Herb Kelleher was there. Um, mm -hmm. how, how much How much does the success that you had with the PR, you, you were four times with Oprah Winfrey, is down to your personality? Because you, you're, uh, you're... Sure. Some of it I agree with you, Gordon. It's my personality. I mean, look, it, I'm wound one turn too tight. I get it. I, you know, I don't deny it. Um, so, but here, I'll give you an example of Oprah. Okay, perfect example. When I met Oprah, she was doing a little talk show in Baltimore. Okay, it was called People Are Talking. It was a little local talk show, you know, one of those talk shows I was on. Anyway, afterwards, she really liked what I did. She wanted me to look at her closets, right, at her house. So we went and done them. Again, she was in Baltimore, very small. Then she moved to Chicago. She called me. She wanted me to do her closets again. And then that led me to getting on to the national show a few times. Uh, Oprah is awesome. She's one of the very few people. She's exactly the same on camera, off camera. Most of them, camera goes off, personality completely changes, but not her. But but every time we were on that show, the next month was a record month in sales. Every time, mm -hmm. right? I mean, she's on the show saying, "I love my closets. It makes me feel thinner and better and lighter." And you know, I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> Right. And then one time I was on the show and it was for, you know, uh, eligible bachelors. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was hysterical. You know, we got I literally got a, a, a sack of letters after I was in the show and we used to sit in the lunchroom with all of my top executives and everybody would take turns reading one of the letters. It was just hysterical. Anyway, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, see, one of the things on getting on talk shows, they are looking for people. It's easy. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is say, what can I provide their viewership without them having to spend money? Mm -hmm. And if you can answer that question, mm -hmm. right, you can get on the show. So I go on there and I'd say, I give them a list. Here's the top 10 things to get out of your closet right now. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, the old sweatshirt from 20 years, whatever it was. Or if we went to the garage, here's, you know, the cans of paint that are, you know, solid. Right. So I was always able to provide them with tips and deals to make their lives better without spending money okay that's the key to getting on talk shows what are you going to provide their viewers what information and what benefit for free can you provide their viewers and if you can answer that getting on shows well, listen they got an hour to fill every day yeah yeah they're looking for stuff yeah so again if you keep what i said in mind what can i provide to make that viewer's life better without charging them money you've got an invitation to get on absolutely love it and so so the 17 year old guy who wants to be a carpenter he, he grew this international global business 
Uh, you sold it, I think, in 2013. Is that right? Uh, well, okay. So I sold California Closets in 90. I ran it into 95. Then I started another one called Closet Made. I ran that one for 10 years, sold it. Then I sold it into another one called Organizers Direct. That's the one I sold in 2013, um, which I wouldn't have sold it necessarily, Gordon, but I had, uh, I was dealing with cancer and it was not good. Right. Didn't think I was going to make it. I mean, they sat my wife down and said, we got 12 months. Can I, can now, I it all worked out. Got an experimental drug. Seven years later, here I'm at. But that's why I ultimately uh, had sold it. You know, over the years, Gordon, I, I actually, I am the luckiest guy in the world who can't catch a break. Right. Because I've had all of these great things happen to me. You know, I was one of the founders of YEO. Okay or EO as it is now. Uh, there was 10 of us, Vern was the founder, but I was one of the first founding members. I was the second international president. I am currently the longest dues main paying member in EO. Um, but, but EO was a critical part of my life. Again, EO was just another form of mentorship, right? Of education, continuing education and being around with the same people that are going through the same things you are. So I can tell you that the Entrepreneurs Organization was a critical part of my wife, YPO, YEO, executive, I don't care which one, but it's a matter of, and when you belong to those organizations, the biggest issue is telling the truth. You know, entrepreneurs like to put up this front that everything's great all the time. We know better. When you're running your own businesses, it's a battle every day, guys, call it what it is. So the more intellectually honest you can be with your peers, the more you're gonna get back, right? It's a matter of trying to check the ego at the door and that's tough for entrepreneurs, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Call it what it is, they're ego driven a lot of times. And the benefit of that shared honesty among fellow business leaders is what? Oh, it's on, you know, I don't know if you know, there's an organization within YPO and EO called Forum, right? And this is where you get together with seven or eight members once a month and I've been in a forum now for 15 years with these guys, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, it, whatever is said in that room stays in the room. If you get caught breaking forum confidentiality, you can get kicked out of EO, mm -hmm. right? And that's what makes it work is the confidentiality. Because mm -hmm. where is it that you can go and show up and throw up and know that these people care, but it's not going to get out? Because we all go through ups and downs with our businesses. Yeah. And uh, and with your having hang out with EO for all these years, longer serving member, what's your, uh, you know, if you, if you had to pick the, the top three traits that you see within well, entrepreneurs, what are yeah, they? Well, first of all, the, the three biggest things with EO that I think are important. Number one is form, right? I, I just can't tell you. I've been in two forms. One was 13 years. One now is 15 years. Number two, the international universities are unbelievably awesome okay mm. the learning you know the thing i like about them it's the learning it's the uh the people but it's going to another city where you're being hosted mm. so you know you go to berlin and you get out the book and you don't know what to do well now all of a sudden the berlin chapter is hosting you go to the right restaurant you get into the right you know what i'm saying it, it's a different experience mm. now for the the people that i see successful right? There's two types. There's what I call the focused 
entrepreneur who is has his business, runs his business, grows that business for the long time. Then there's the serial entrepreneur, right? These are guys that start it up, run it, get it to a point and sell it because they're not really managers. Mm. They're entrepreneurs. And a lot of entrepreneurs are not good managers, right? So that's the two types I see. I see the serial entrepreneurs that want to start it up, get it going and dump it. And then the guy who says, I'm going to run this business for the next 30 years and grow it and leave it for my kids or whatever they want to do with it. Mm. Can I can I go, you, you touched on it briefly yourself. Can I just go personal for a second? Because sure. you, know, you told me about you, uh, I think your son, Jack, you, is, yep. is living with autism. Yep. And, then you, and then you had your, your, your own situation where you're told you had 12 months to live. Um, but both those scenarios, which are uh, tra uh, traumatic and, uh, uh, in, in their own ways, how did that change your sort of view on life, what it's about? You've been a very hardworking entrepreneur for years and years, and I know yeah. all the stuff that you do. Well, if you look at, um, okay, so if you look at that autism or philanthropy, and I'll put the cancer aside for a second. If you look at autism, what it is, is, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a tough deal because it's forever, right? And, but what I've done is every time I walk through pain, I want to make it purposeful for the next person. Okay, so autism, you know, we got really involved in it. Uh, I wrote a program called Daddy Boot Camp for newly diagnosed fathers to give them, you know, coming attractions, as I call it. Um, we work with newly diagnosed families once a month. Uh, I started a, the big autism walk here in Phoenix. We raised over $13 million on that walk for autism. So I got involved. Now, my wife, you know, uh, my wife uh, was a victim of a home invasion. Okay. Horrible. I mean, I, I don't go into details, but the whole ugly mess. So after that, she worked at the Rape Counseling Center for five years and worked with individuals, right? She then got breast cancer, right? And then she started working with breast cancer patients. Then I got sick. So my point is, is that although I've had the highest peaks, I've also had the lowest lows. Mm -hmm. And I, although, you know, after... We, in four and a half years, Gordon, I had 528 chemo treatments and I did two bone marrow transplants. After the second one, they sat us down and said, you got 12 months, sorry, right? Sold the business, took the kids to Europe for four months. Now, then I got back and they had, a, they found an experimental drug and it worked on me and now all things were good. But, but through that, I never had an epiphany of, I've got a second chance in life. And I never was, I never played the poor, poor me card. That's just not me. It is what it is. Deal with it, right? I'm not going to, you know, the kids were still young at the time. And so I put as much lipstick on the pig as I could. Okay. That's all I can do. And so, you know, through the whole thing, I was, it is what it is. I'm going to do what the doctors say. I'll do everything I can. But even after I got cured, it's not like my life changed. And I said, I got a second chance, right? It was just, let's go on forward. Mm -hmm. um, but but today, uh, my philanthropy is all, see, let me tell you the other thing that we do. We work with the homeless, Gordon. And one thing I can tell everybody and all of your viewers about philanthropy, for 30 years, I was a check writer, okay? 
I don't care what it was. I wrote the check. I donated the closet, but I was never involved. And the one thing I've learned through the last five, six, seven years is you'll never get the benefit of giving unless you're close to the people that are receiving it. So we deal with the homeless. We go down and we, in our cars, we give money to we keep Ziploc bags in our cars and they have a toothbrush, toothpaste, bar soap, granola bar, and a pair of socks in them. And that's what we give out to people on the street. So our kids make these up and every so often we go down to the homeless area in downtown Phoenix and we pass all this stuff out and everything you think it's going to be, it isn't, it's not alcoholic drunk guys, it's families, it's kids, it's heartbreaking. Mm. Anyway, long story short, it's the end of the day and this family comes up, they got about a 10 year old kid and we are just out of everything, right? I mean, just, we got nothing left. And they said, well, that's great. Thank you for coming. We appreciate you for helping. And I reach in my pocket, Gordon, and all I had was a $50 bill, right? Mm. I give them the 50 and they like, just thank me and blah, 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 blah. And they walk away and then they come back. And the guy says, Neil, he said, you know, we don't think you realize what this does for us. We haven't been able to get our kid a shower in a week. We mm. haven't had a hot meal in three days. My wife wanted to give you a hug, but she didn't want you to be scared. You know, she, they're living on the street. And I said, no problem. She came up and she hugged me and we had a group hug and they're crying and I'm crying and it affects you. And that's my point. Get involved, but get close to the people you're helping because when you write a check from behind your desk, you do it because somebody asked you. You don't really get satisfaction of it. When you see how that check actually helps somebody, mm. it changes everything. Mm. right and that's what i do right now i'm all about philanthropy people giving people i want them to get involved i don't want to check i want mm. them to come down to the autism walk i want to go to the juvenile diabetes rally get involved because when you do and you see how it impacts people's lives it makes you feel a lot better about doing it amazing amazing and, and, and what next neil you're, you're making a difference to to so many lives uh, you're running a successful business um what's next for you well what next is for me is i look like a man is is stay still very long well no no what i'm doing right now is i'm public speaking um uh, about philanthropy and i have a new speech called walking through pain for purpose and i do my typical business speech whatever i've done it a thousand times don't really give a crap but this new one because i fundamentally believe most people are good, decent, honest people. And if you just show them what, in a way they can understand it, they'll mm. help, they'll get involved, mm. right? See, here's, here's a perfect example. I think an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And let me give you an example. We had an autistic child, right? So if we were on an airplane, I printed up little business cards that said autism awareness, one in 56 kids and a few facts, right? anybody sitting around us i'd hand them a business card and say hey our son has autism you know if he does something inappropriate bear with us we're doing the best we can 99 out of 100 people would be can we help no problem we totally understand they're you know, they're bending over backwards to help mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. here's the flip side say i didn't pass out that card and he does something inappropriate the people get mad and at that point you can't talk them off the ledge they're already mm -hmm. mad mm -hmm right? They're already mad. You can't, but if you told them up front, mm. now they're 
bending over backwards to help. So that my point to this is that if I can get people to understand and and get and participate and see what it is up front, it's going to really help on the tail end, mm. right? So that that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, my other big issue in my life, my kids, well, we have twins. They're going off to college in a couple months, and I'm completely upside down over it. I don't, I, I'm not dealing with it well. Okay, I just don't know. I can't see that I'm going from where I'm going to seeing my kids four times a year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> could get worse. I've got a daughter who's just moved to New Zealand. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah, exactly. We were just in New Zealand not too long ago. Great country. Beautiful. It was really beautiful. Yeah. And we were there. One final sure. question, Neil. Your your uh, your view on entrepreneurs, and you know, it's so all-consuming being an entrepreneur, running a business at times. There's no question. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt, but but here's the problem, Gordon. People who work for companies don't understand entrepreneurs. See, here's a for example. A good friend of mine's a pilot for United Airlines, right? Flies seven forty-seven, whatever. He probably makes three hundred grand a year. Okay. He's always jealous of us because we're entrepreneurs and we own our own business. And I said, Bob, here's the difference. You park the plane, you turn the key off. You never think about that plane until you have to work again. When you're entrepreneurs, 24-7, you can never get away from it. Even when you're with your kids and you're at Disneyland, you're freaking checking your phone. You're, you know what I'm saying? It, 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 and it takes a certain person. If being an entrepreneur was easy and running your own business was easy, everybody would do it. It's mm. not. It's hard, disciplined, dedicated work, and not everybody is cut out for it. They think they are, mm. but they're not. You know what I'm saying? Because they think it's easy, but it isn't. Mm. Uh, I agree with that. My, and my question was, knowing that, your where you are in your life now when it's clearly been in your dna since you were 17 where you like making a positive difference and impact on people's lives do you feel that sometimes we sacrifice what we could be doing in terms of the influence and impact we could have on others because our running our business is all consuming is that something actually with wisdom with experience with age you've kind of thought actually we could we could all do that well yes and no okay perfect example of that is we always supported a company called Homes of Hope. They build homes in Mexico for the poor, right? Well, you know, every year we took our whole corporate staff down there. So we were in, able to integrate the helping and giving to within our organization. And I do think that you make a sacrifice. Sir, you, you can't, listen, Gordon, it's a half a gallon of milk in a quart container. Something's going to give when you're running a business and growing it and whatnot, okay? You're going to make sacrifices. Now, I, I implore people not to miss those important things in their kids' lives and whatnot. I did it sometimes and I regret it, right? Because at the end of it, you, you, at the end of it, it's all about your family and your kids and whatnot. Now we convince ourselves that we do this to give them that, right? We work our asses off and we build this so they can have that. But what they want is three quarters of that and you mm. rather than a hundred percent of that. I'm sure they'd be happy with 70% if they got more of you. So um, my wife tried to keep me on a pretty good leash, but it snapped a few times. Yeah. And final question. Who's, who's inspiring you these days? Um, you know, 
my, I would say in a lot of way, Bill Gates, because what he's out there doing is he's doing good with all his money, mm. right? And he's trying to get these other billionaires to do good with their money. And that's inspirational. I mean, you know, he's, you know, look at what Warren Buffett and these big people have donated to that Gates Foundation. Mm. That changes it. See, I think those things change it more and quicker than governments change it. Mm. Right? Look at them. They've almost stamped out malaria in Africa. Yeah, the Gates Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, right? It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, so those are, you know, I'm all about helping people and, and, just, you know, trying to understand what other people have gone through their, through their perception. See, I look at it through a very weird lens, Gordon. And the lens I look at it through is I grew up poor, right? We were just flat poor. Now, I never knew we were poor until I got older because we were happy. But, you know, I thought everybody shared a room with their brother until they were 13. What did I know any difference? Mm. So when I deal with guys that, or in upper middle class, have everything given to them, and they start pointing the finger and telling these people what to do, and they've never walked in their shoes. Mm. It's infuriating to me because, in you know, here's an example. Okay, somebody just I was with someone and they said, you know, I really hate Black Lives Matter. All lives matter. And I said, really? I go, John, that's an interesting. Have you ever been black? Because my sense is you're white. So have you ever been a victim of racism? So you don't know what these people have gone through, but yet you're making judgments about them. Mm. Until you've walked in someone's shoes, you have no idea what they've been through. Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to see you over in London soon. Uh, I hope so. Well, hey, COVID land, but I hope so. I, I've never gone this long in my life without getting on a plane. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little shaky and antsy. Um, listen, I really, really appreciate your time coming to join us, sharing your story. Um, absolutely inspirational and. Uh, extraordinary well i hope i didn't disappoint you gordon no i loved it i'm going to drop mo, mo, mo a note now and say thank you so much but massive thank you to you it's been great really appreciate it Have if you get to the u.s day. come look me up i'm always happy to to deal with another entrepreneur i'm coming i'm coming thanks all right gordon you have a good day thanks everyone bye